got our second Bible reading here. We're reading from the book of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 1 to 14. I'll give you a few moments to find it. All right, chapter 22, verse 1. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, How did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, Tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Good morning, everybody. Uh, My name's Darren, if I've not met you yet. And thank you, Bill, for bringing us this morning's reading. Uh, This morning, as has been shared, we're beginning a series on four parables that Jesus told. Uh, One being about a generous king this morning, one about a gracious father, one about a fair master, and finally one about a compassionate teacher. Whilst quite distinct stories, they do have this common thread, and that is that they express the heart and character of God. They explain the gift, and mercy, the gift of mercy and grace that's been extended to each one of us and the need for us to respond to his invitation. This image uh, is the image of the Den of Nargan, a place not far from my childhood home. It was named by the Gunai Kurnai people of East Gippsland after a creature known as the Nargan. Stories were often told around campfires about the Nargan and this creature, a savage creature, that would abduct children who wandered too far from the campfire. The Nargan couldn't be harmed by boomerangs or spears. And of course, the telling of this story reminded and fear-filled the children so that they wouldn't wander far from the campfire. So, of course, it had an utilitarian uh, uh, space that allowed the children to feel or to be reminded of remaining close by. But it also formed part of a larger set of stories that helped them understand the world. The next image that you can see are sushi trains. More recently, I was discussing with a colleague some improvements that we could make to a particular process at school. 
He proceeded to describe the system as being like a sushi train. Content is placed on the platform from which a person chooses their preferred flavours. After the meal, two things become obvious. Those things that are missing are the preferred flavours. Those that remain are the unneeded or unwanted. The flavours, of course, represent those things that are desirable. Now, what do the Nagan and sushi trains have to do with Jesus telling of the wedding banquet? They're analogies, of course. Stories that help us grasp an idea. Stories that transform a concept or an idea into an accessible teaching that we can relate to and that we can apply. The story of the wedding banquet is an analogy that Jesus uses to invite his audience, the Jews in his time, and us as readers of his word to understand and access the riches of the kingdom of heaven. The theologian Charles Spurgeon describes his gratitude for the parables of Jesus in this way. It's not only beautiful, his choice of words, but also instructive. As I read, just listen for the majesty and the grace to be found in Jesus' parables. It is most fitting that we give expression to our deep gratitude that it has pleased the infinite mind to stoop to our narrow capacities and instruct us by parable. How tenderly condescending is God to devise similitudes that his children may learn the mysteries of the kingdom. If it be sometimes marvelled at among men that great minds are ever ready to stoop, what a far greater marvel that God himself should bow the heavens and come down to meet our ignorance and slowness of comprehension. Just as we give our children pictures that we may win the attention and may, by pleasing means, fix truth upon their memories, so the Lord, with loving inventiveness, has become the author of many a charming metaphor, type and allegory, by which he may gain our interest and through his Holy Spirit enlighten our minds. Whilst analogies have their limitations, and they most certainly do, they're also a really powerful um, teaching tool. Our interest is evoked by the characters, the plot, the storyline, while revealing a truth or unveiling a hidden treasure of wisdom or highlighting a misunderstanding and expounding meaning from our life experiences. And they are timeless because they allow us to apply the learning to our context, to our setting, to our experiences, even some 2,000 years after they were told. As we open God's word and look at this first parable this morning, join with me as I open in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us, for your word and for your son. We thank you this morning particularly for Jesus' parables, 
that have been recorded for us. I pray you will open our hearts and minds this morning so that we might have a fresh understanding of you and of your great love for people. Amen. Well, I appreciated John's comments this morning about the number of seats that we have in church because we're about to speak about a banquet hall that has seating, but a seating capacity far greater than our church. Uh, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son, the parable begins. Whilst it's not clear if the original audience, the Jews at that time, truly grasped the depths of this parable, they would have understood the significance of a wedding banquet for the king's son. Banquets and feasts were a familiar part of life. In this particular parable, the king is God, the son, Jesus. The banquet was to be an occasion to honour the king and glorify the son. It would not only be enjoyed because it was a gathering of friends, but it was an expression of friendship extended from the king. And what a great honour than to receive an invitation to the wedding of the king's son. A banquet was an event at which the hungry were fed, the thirsty would have enough to drink. Not a time of gluttony, but an occasion of plenty. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus was emphasising, is a place of plenty. No one goes hungry, no one goes thirsty, there is ample for everyone. The banquet is also a picture of God's lavish grace. All the blessings of the wedding covenant are made available to the guests, as they are to us. A pardoning of any wrongdoing, peace with the king, and the fulfilment of the promises of the gospel. And these blessings can be experienced in part now and in full when we join our king for eternity. And a banquet is expensive. It's a costly affair. The king makes sacrifices of his best livestock, enough to satisfy all the guests in the banquet hall. No expense is spared. God's invitation to us is the same. He has spared no expense to ensure we are able to join the banquet free of charge, free of obligation. He sacrificed his own son and then raised him from the dead to cover the cost of our access to the banquet hall. Now in verse 3, we're told, he sent his servants to call those he had invited to the banquet. This is an invitation to a select few, a chosen people, represented here as the Jewish people, a limited guest list with a generous and personal invitation from the king. As the story unfolds, it's clear, though, the king is committed to holding the banquet. This, is, this invitation is not a request for expressions of interest. If he, the, the celebration will go ahead. There will be a banquet and there will be guests, guests enough to fill the banquet hall in honour of his son. 
But like in the first instance, those invited are asked to respond. Responde civil play or RSVP, please respond in the English, is a common request that we see at the bottom of even invitations that we share today. There is no cost to the guest, no sacrifice required, no price to be considered. Whether they accept or decline, the price of their place at the table has been paid for and preparations are complete, just as they are for us. Everything is ready, the king declares. Every guest has been catered for. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he makes this same declaration and a call for a response. He says, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Just as God sent many prophets to declare his love for his people, so the king in this story sends his servants, not just once, but twice. The king extends grace to those he has invited them, those he invited, giving them a second opportunity to respond. He extends this same grace to each of us. The invitation was generous and it was clear, but the guests refused to come, it says in verse 3. Having refused to come, the first invitation. Those invited respond to this second invitation with contempt. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them and killed them. Jesus is making the point here that just as the king's servants were treated with contempt, the Jews had been doing so to their prophets for many, many years throughout their history. This part of the story is a confronting condemnation of his Jewish listeners. They had repeatedly mistreated and even killed God's prophets for rebuking and correcting them, and they were simply seeking to reconcile them to God. The Bible is clear that God is patient with his people but he does require us to respond. It says in 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The Apostle Paul reminds Timothy of the same truth, that God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. The king extends this second invitation to his guests, giving them the benefit of the doubt, so to speak, forgiving any previous transgressions and ensuring they have every opportunity to accept this generous gift and this offer of fellowship. But when this second invitation is met with contempt... The king responds swiftly and decisively. The king was enraged, verse 7 says, and he sent his troops to destroy those murderers and burn their city. 
a reference to the use of Israel's enemies to enact judgment on them for their failure to respond to God's offers of reconciliation. God will not continue endlessly to tolerate the abuse of his people and the contempt shown for his gracious invitation. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, the Apostle Paul says to the Greeks in Athens, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, that man being Christ. When the original invitees despised the invitation and were deemed unworthy, the guest list is expanded. Not to a different select group, but in verse 9, we are told the servants were asked to go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you can find. It is now an open invitation to all who will come. A universal invitation has been extended to all who will respond. This was going to be a feast, not limited to a short list, but to anyone who would come, an offer to all and sundry. Jesus tells us the wedding hall was filled with guests, both the bad as well as the good. When the king enters the wedding hall, he immediately notices a guest who has not been wearing wedding clothes, or who is not wearing wedding clothes. Verse 11. It was not obvious to the other guests, though, but it was very clear to the king. So what are these garments that are so clearly important to the king and so obvious to the king, but none of the other guests have noticed? The author of, the, um, the author of Hebrews gives us the answer. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. It is the guest's righteousness that is obviously absent. And in keeping with the nature of the invitation, even the wedding clothes are given as a gift from the king. So the absence of the correct clothing is not due to the guest failing to purchase them, or earn them, he has intentionally chosen not to accept this generous gift from the king. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans that Christ's righteousness has been imputed to us when we believe in him. Therefore, every guest was offered the wedding clothes they needed. But this, this guest is an imposter, pretending to be a follower of Christ seeking to access the abundance of the banquet without truly accepting the gift offered by the king. The king will not have anyone dishonour his son. And anyone who dares to do so will be excluded from the banquet. These unwelcome guests will be eternally separated from God's presence. This part of the story echoes the words of God when he spoke to Isaiah. These people come near to me with their mouth and honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules. They have been taught. The king has the imposter tied hand and foot and thrown outside, it says. 
This punishment is not simply an act of an oversensitive king about some garments of clothing. It's not about a forgetful or mistaken guest. This attendee is a wolf in sheep's clothing. He is an uninvited guest and the king will not tolerate anyone seeking to enter the banquet under false pretenses. A solemn warning for those who profess to be followers of Christ, but in their hearts hold him in contempt. So what? Whilst Jesus spoke this parable specifically for the Jewish leaders over 2,000 years ago, we must not think it irrelevant today, just as we introduced. So what can we learn from it? Firstly, we can be assured that we serve a gracious and patient God who has prepared a banquet to which everyone is invited. No one is excluded from the invitation. My father's house has many rooms, it says in John 14. If it were not so, I would have told you. Second, our invitation cost us nothing because it cost the king everything. He has paid all that is required. He has paid the price with his very own son. The king has demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, it tells us in Romans. And finally, God's call, God calls us to RSVP. The price of our place at the table has been fully paid, but we need to accept the invitation. Our attendance at the banquet requires nothing from us except a genuine repentance and a faith in Jesus Christ, his son. Let me close with these words from Isaiah. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. In that day they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation.